show is sponsored by HiveMind CRM. It is more than just a CRM. It is a real estate and business mastermind that comes with an all-in-one CRM. You can have unlimited websites and users. You can call, text, RVM, and email all-in-one user interface. And you can set up custom automations for any type and multiple businesses. 65% of companies start using a CRM system within the first five years of business. Once implemented, the HiveMind will save you on marketing, give you more time, and make more money. One of our users has had his first $100,000 month using our system in June. We want to see you automate and accelerate your business. Text us at 210-972-1842 for future meetings. And of course, to get our $1 course on how to make more than six figures on one land deal. You can schedule your free demo today at hivemindcrm.io. Hey, welcome to today's episode uh, of the Hive With Us podcast. I am your host, Mr. Daniel Martinez. Uh, we have a special guest, Mr. Brian Grimes. Where are, you, where, where are you out of the country? I'm out of New York. I'm out of the New York area, yeah. New York. I've been up there twice. I've been up there twice. And uh, I drove a semi-truck through New York. So I'm like, uh, I was going to Vermont. <laughs> and uh, I took a detour through New York. I'm like, I'm there. I haven't been in here since I was like 17. So let's see what it's like. <laughs> And I yeah, hundred dollars. I had a hundred dollar toll and had instant regret. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. They get you coming and going in New York. They're gonna pull the money out of you. I'm like, this is crazy. Oh, and then I have another. This is not real estate related for everybody listening to the show, but this is this is my New York experience. So I was when I hit New York, I was going north, and I hit some roadway where it was all cars. And I've never yeah. seen that in my like driving career. Never, like never seen that before. So I'm like, I'm just following the GPS and like all the cars are honking at me, giving me the finger <laughs> and yelling at me. And I'm just like, I'm just trying to get to the freeway around. I know I made a wrong turn. There's no, there wasn't even a shoulder to pull over to. What are those yeah. called? Yeah, I, I have no, just normal New York City driving, man. It's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's a zoo. And uh, they gave you the warm welcome of the, the horn honking. I mean, there's okay. some areas like when I go into uh, I'm from Philly. So when I go back to Pennsylvania, it's like you're a little lighter on the horn. But in New York, it's just like a, a third muscle. It's just you just go right for it. Oh. If they don't take off when the light turns green, you just squeeze the horn. It uh, it just comes right out of you. But you have to turn that off when you get into other areas where it's not, you know, customary. So <laughs> maybe maybe we'll talk about this, too, but like. How how is it dealing with like New York like tenants, New York owners? Like like when you talk about like I most of my deals are in Texas, it's like a different type of su- like southern draw. Like people are mostly kind in most ways. New York people are probably like violent <laughs> over the <laughs> <laughs> New, No, New York is New York's a tough area just because of the landlord tenant laws. They're just not friendly towards the landlords. So um, you know, people can really squat in those houses and you know, it could take you six to eight months to to do an eviction, if that. So it, it's a really tough place to be a landlord. It's kind of like California is is just like, I wouldn't be a landlord there if you paid me. And New York is a, another place where it's just difficult. So most of my properties are in Philly, uh, South Jersey, Delaware, Baltimore, and, and uh, you know, parts of Texas like Arlington. So um, places where it's a little bit more, you know, landlord friendly. That's crazy. So most of the stuff you're doing in New York, like flips. Tell us a little about yourself. Like, how'd you get into real estate? Um, how long have you been in real estate? Yeah. Um, stuff like that. No, definitely. So I started off in real estate a little over a decade ago. Wow. And, um, I, you know, I just came out of the nine to five. I was a nine to five warrior. I uh, started off working 100% commission as a financial planner. So I'm ripping and running through the streets, selling people insurance, annuities, uh, investment planning. And as I'm driving around, I'm seeing all these, you know, properties. And I knew a little bit about real estate. I had a buddy who was doing like buy and hold section eight investing. So I was saving all of my commission checks and working uh, towards putting that into real estate. And I, I remember hitting one big sale. Um, I was about to, I was with a buddy of mine who I also got in real estate and we're about to walk out the door of uh, this like annuity sale. And the person's got like not a ton of money from what we think. And we yeah. get up, we're like, all right, it's fine, fine, Miss Jones, uh, you know, we'll see you for the next annual review. And she goes, oh, by the way, I got a quarter million dollars in this um, thrift savings plan. Can you guys do something with that? So we're like, of course, we put it in an annuity. 
and um, we get a, a nice commission check. And I bought my first house with that. So I got a FHA house hack uh, on, a, on a duplex with a, a knock-in unit in the basement, a legal unit in the basement that the owner was living in. And uh, I was just going to live in the basement unit and rent out the top two and live for free. So um, that was kind of like my first deal. That's that's pretty interesting. Uh, yeah. From the financials, from the financial side, there's a, there's a lot of hustle when you uh, come from the sales side that like yeah. really, that really like transfers over. Yeah, yeah. Sales is everything. Like um, the the guys that I was working with and under at the time, they told me like this sales stuff is going to make you a monster for the rest of your life. No matter what you do, these skills will transfer. And I mean, they couldn't have been more right. It makes you 100% fearless, especially when you're you're working 100% commission right out of college. Well, when everybody else is, you know, I went to Columbia University, so everybody yeah. else is knocking down serious money. Uh, we got people in investment banking knocking down a buck 80. They're working 20 hour days, but they're making good money. And, um, you know, I'm just trying to scrape pennies together to get some gas in the car so I can go and try to run some more sales. But it definitely gives you what we call like rhino skin. Your skin gets 10 inches thick. Um, you can handle adversity and it carries through to, to everything, um, even to this day, everything I do. Yeah. Uh, it's like, uh, the, the athletes and the salespeople, they do really, really well in entrepreneurship, man. They're like, yeah, <laughs> like it's amazing. It's amazing to watch them work because it's just like that, the, the blood, sweat and tears and pain is always there. Yeah. And, and, and I'm lucky to have been both, you know, my, my first, uh, I, I was nationally ranked in high school in basketball. I grew to be about six, five at the age of 14. Oh, wow. Um, my first high school game, they flew us out to play some guy, in Akron, Ohio, named LeBron James, who we didn't know much about at the time, but, you know, absolutely uh, insane experience, sold out crowd at Akron University. And, and LeBron was a, a stud at, you know, 17, 18, just an absolute monster. So um, definitely having that, that sports background, playing through college, uh, it, it carried over as well. It gave me that, that work ethic, that delayed gratification type of attitude to uh, put in the work and just keep failing forward if you have to yeah it's and it's a necessity in entrepreneurship it's so it's like people that don't do that or have don't have a background like they fail once like oh no what do I do yeah you figure it out yeah it's where you figure it out you keep going yeah you keep going you get hurt you you rehab you know you you go in the gym you you get in the ice bath you figure it out and you come back the next day and you fight again take take a Tylenol and come back I'll see you tomorrow (laughs) yeah exactly that's funny man that's so that's so cool man so uh are you doing you're doing a lot of flips you're doing a lot of rentals what's that look like right now like what was what's your portfolio like and what's your like your your, uh like your day-to-day in the real estate space right now yeah so my focus when i when i started to get good at real estate like i i started off just buying saving money and buying houses parking capital in deals like we most all of us do and then you run into that brick wall where you're like well, how much money can I keep saving to buy houses? Like, I'm just going to keep going broke and I'm not, you know, I'm not getting anywhere any uh, faster. So I started to learn full gut renovation. I I actually became obsessed with it. I found this guy on YouTube. He might've had like 500 views on his video at this time, but he's like walking in houses and these are properties he bought off the sheriff's sale. So he just opens the door for the first time. He's got his cameraman and he opens the door, the ceiling's caved in. And he was just fearless. He's like, yeah, we'll full gut renovate this in eight to 12 weeks. And I'm like, what? I want that confidence. Like this guy, this guy has something that can make me a millionaire if I can get my hands on that confidence. So I started to obsess over this. And before I knew it, within a year, I was uh, doing three full gut jobs on a burnout, a tear down and a shell all on one block in a C-class neighborhood. And I just fell in love with it. So fast forward, you know, I've done over 300 full gut renovations, burst strategy on buy and hold deals um, over the last five to seven years, really, uh, most of that. I've had years where I've done over 100, you know, burst strategy deals. And that's kind of my thing is buying and holding, building cash flow for the future, because we want to get paid over and over again for what we did, not for what we're doing, you know, today. That is crazy. Eight to 12 weeks. That's yeah. Yeah, it's uh the eight weeks might have been salesy on, on, on his end, but 12 weeks is doable when you get your system together, you get your people together and you have good transitions. So it takes it's something you have to scale into with the right systems, but it's 100 percent possible 
especially if you're buying properties that are already in shell condition. Just getting them down to the four walls and going through the progressions. Mm -hmm. So you got the you got the caps to the left. It's all caps. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it keeps you. Uh, <laughs> people ask me, they're like, "Why do you have that hard hat?" It's like because that's that's what got me there. You know, that blue collar energy. That's what got me there, and I I always stay tapped into this, even though you know now I'm kind of more on the operations end of it and air traffic yeah. control and leveraging the tech boots on the ground uh putting your people in place and, and standing in those shells is what gets you you know to where you want to be so i never forget about it yeah um the, the the team the team in place to have the confidence in your team and to like push them to complete that job so like eight eight weeks i just that sounds like a, sounds like a lot of work yeah well <laughs> I, I consider it like riding a bike, like your first full gut renovation is going to take mm -hmm. you six to eight months. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care who you are, yeah. because it, it, it takes some feeling out and you have to learn the ropes a bit. Hope you don't get burned by a contractor like I did. I had a yeah. guy run off with 40 grand on my first deal. Um, so hopefully that doesn't happen to you. But as you progress, it becomes like riding a bike. I mean, the first hundred deals, there are definitely a lot of crazy things that get thrown at you but after that first hundred everything's just a replay so um you get better and better and before you know it you could kind of just feel your way through a deal and build a deal uh, remotely out of the out of town some people are uh building houses with my systems from out of the country so um you know you can really leverage this stuff to make it more passive than you uh could imagine with the technology from today yeah tech I always just love like technology from today really is like it's made becoming an entrepreneur and like managing your business as a whole a whole lot easier way easier yeah. than 20 30 years ago like we have a definitely have a hack <laughs> yeah we have we have an un, unbelievable hack and I think that, like a developer from the 80s would look at us and just be like are you guys crazy or are you extremely lazy like what what is wrong with you people a little because bit of both. if they yeah a little bit of both because you know they didn't have a smartphone I could send anybody in with an iPhone to go inspect properties, report back to me. I can put uh, smartphones in my contractor's hands and use applications where I can get updates and inspection reports and all different types of things that didn't even exist. So we have a unique opportunity today. Um, and there's a gap, you know, because the robotics industry, it is coming to shake up real estate. So there's a gap here where you can get in and grab hundreds of properties uh, before like the next wave of innovation uh, takes over and there's, you know, another hurdle and, uh, and barrier to entry. Yeah. It's definitely, definitely adapting to the future. Cause if you don't adapt, you're going to get left behind. And I'm sure you yeah. come across investors that are stuck, stuck in the weeds still. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, no, I've, I've had people that I've le leapfrogged, like people who got into real estate before me, they had, you know, 10, 15 properties. And then, you know, two years go by, they're like, hey, how many you got? I, I'm, at, I'm just crossing over 100. And they're at 20. You know, but it's, it's because of the systems. It's because of how I play the game. I, I really play the game with uh, team building and systems building. Whereas there are a lot of do it yourselfers who watch HGTV, and they want to stand in the house and pick up the hammer um, and really try to do everything themselves. What they don't show you on HGTV is, you know, those people are only getting a couple deals done a year uh, doing it themselves. Yeah. You really need leverage and, and big teams in order to scale. So I always focused on the scale of the operation versus, you know, figuring out how to just do everything myself. Um, so, you know, that's how I definitely excelled past people. That, 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 I think it's a, it's like a mindset, like hurdle that most people can't even overcome. But like, I'm the best Tyler out there and I, I just want to do it all myself and it's going to look perfect, pristine. I'm like, I don't even want to do tile. I don't want to do tile. Only thing I want to lift is this. That's the only thing I want to lift all day is uh, is this thing. And and this will make you more money than uh, than these and then the hammer. You know, it, it really will. If you know how to leverage that technology, it'll make you more money than anything. And your contractors, they need you to leverage the tech because that's what they're not good at. They're better than you. No matter how good you can train and get yourself, they're always going to be better than you. Why? Because their uncle taught them how to build houses when they were four years old. You know, they've been doing this since they could walk. So um, you're never going to get to that level. But on the technology side, you can assist them and fill the gaps that they have at such a high level that as a team, you just combine to form the superpower that can produce massive profits. So you're more valuable to each other by staying in your, your proper roles. 
So I have a couple questions. We'll start off with um, tools and resources to kind of keep your team together and everybody on the same page because yeah. that's its own thing right there. Yeah. I'll tell you the best resource, the best resource I came across and this, this resource 10 X my production, like it sped up my business so fast and reduced my involvement in the communication process that it was just insane. It made it like feel passive. And that's the Marco Polo app. So at the time, the Marco Polo app was a free app. So, so I put it in the business and my brother, my brother's like, he's an engineer mind. I'm a finance mind. So, um, he, uh, he does commercial granite all across the country. Brilliant guy. And we always get together. We're talking systems. Like I, I talk to my brother three, four times a day and 50% of the time it's about real estate. Cause we're, we're doing deals all over the yeah. place and, and doing things. And he's like, you need to get a virtual walkie talkie for these guys, feed them the Marco Polo app. So I'm like, all right, I'll do it. And I start building out channels and team systems and interlinking the communications and showing them boots on the ground. Hey, you don't have to get out of get in your car and drive over there to see anything. Just tell the guy to tap into the Marco Polo and make him report to you two times a day. So I'm starting to build up these different communication checkpoints. And before I know it, these guys are communicating and getting stuff done faster than they ever have because they've never used this technology. So it took away, it would be the equivalent of taking away your morning commute. Like if I, if I take away your commute, your morning and and, uh, evening commute, you have an extra three hours of production in your day for, for like the average person. So it was the equivalent of that for your entire business for a hundred contractors. So the speed was like insane or a guy's at home Depot. He's about to buy the wrong material, but then he gets hit on the, on the app. Oh, is this it? No, no idiot. It's this. And they're like, Oh, but that saved us five hours. The hour he was going to get it, the hour he was going to stand in line to buy it, the hour he's going to drive to drop it, get smacked over the head, take it back, stand in that line for another hour. You know, it starts to create this massive efficiency. So that's that's the biggest tool that I still use to this day. And if only if you only do that in your real estate operation, not only will you 10x your speed, but you'll keep yourself from getting burned uh, by contractors because you'll see a lot more. You'll be able to see everything. I will give you, that is the best advice I have heard in a very long time. I've, I, I've heard of the Marco Polo app because my wife uses it to talk to my in-laws. Yeah. So I, know, I know exactly what you're talking about, but that is so brilliant. brilliant. That is so brilliant. Yeah. I, I'll have to get, I'm going to have to tell, tell my, my, I'll tell, tell my brother, <laughs> you know, I'll show this to him because, because God's honest truth is his idea. I just build systems behind everything. So if anybody gives me any idea, any inkling of an idea, I'm going to build a system that I can 1000 X behind that idea. So um, I'll, I'll definitely, he'll definitely be watching this and, and like cheering along. Cause it was, okay. uh, it was definitely his brainchild. No, that, that, that one's, I've never in my life heard that one of using that for real estate, but that, that one's definitely going to be a, a key point that I I'm, I'm, might have to find a way to utilize. Cause that one, that one's huge. It's huge because it's huge. It, the miscommunication is what drives so many problems. Yeah. Everything like miscommunication with everything, everything, so, everything. everything. And, and the reason why for, for some of us who, who might be watching this and are, are a little less sophisticated is look, if your uncle taught you how to build houses, you're, and he's from like, uh, let's say, uh, Ecuador. Right. And then my uncle taught me how to build houses and he's from Jamaica. They called things different things. So they might have called sheetrock a different thing or this tool a different thing or that tool a different thing. So when you go to Home Depot to get something, you might say, go get me X, Y, Z. And you're going to use a certain lingo. But if you're talking to the wrong person, they're going to get the wrong thing or not know what you're talking about. And that miscommunication, you have to multiply that by every day, maybe 40, 50 times per day. This is happening within your operation and it creates such a slowdown of efficiency. This is why you can't get your rehab to 12 weeks or less. That's why. And there's no other way around it, but to solve it. So it's really getting into the weeds of what is slowing these guys down and solving them one by one. So it's very, it's a very powerful uh, strategy. It's a, it, it's like a foundational tool, I would say that you need. There are other things I use, but that's the foundation. All right. Well, let's talk about other tools you use because that, that one that one blew my mind. Let me hear something I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely. I think um, I think a, a lot of us don't use uh, 
we don't know, we don't use the right security system. So if you're rehabbing properties like I do, I'm in blighted neighborhoods. So I'm in C-class neighborhoods. I might be in Baltimore. I might be in Philly. I'm in places where sometimes, you know, depending on the time of year, somebody might break into your house. And realistically, I mean, somebody will steal your packages off your porch in the suburbs, right? People yeah. break in everywhere. A lot of us don't know the difference between, um, you know, like the right type of security. So you have to put security cameras on your property. There are things like wise cams that are very cheap, $25 per camera. They have like a $5 upgrade where they'll uh, video monitor your properties and call the cops if somebody breaks in. And uh, just little efficiencies like that will save you more money. I learned uh, by putting like security grills and doors on my uh, properties from companies like um, one is called Dogs. One is called v, uh, VPS, Vacant Property Solutions. These are like the guys who will go into Detroit when they're like torching houses and stuff and they'll just bang them up, like steal doors, steal window guards, they'll put a guard on the chimney, like whatever they got to do. But the problem with those is they will make your property less likely to get broken into because there's more work that needs to be done. It's kind of like, yeah. you know, the easiest uh, property to break into is going to get broken into first. But there's nothing like that camera, especially if you're in a city where the police response time is very quick. Like in Philly, if you break into one of my properties and I call the cops, they'll be there in two minutes. You can't do much damage to my property in two minutes. I don't care who you are. It's going to take you time to break things apart and steal copper lines. It takes time. So um, that camera can be more valuable than even putting steel doors, steel cages and guards all over your property. So we just need to know the difference to have that remote access and control, but it's cheaper to put on your property than it is to get robbed. You get robbed $4,000. You put the security on your property, $400, and you can take it off and take it to the next deal. So a lot of these security systems are really important as well. And giving you that remote um, access to uh, see your property, see who's in it, who's coming and going. You're also gonna use that to see what contractors are coming and going and when they're arriving to the property to do work and when they're leaving for the day especially if you're paying for day labor. So day labor, yeah. a lot of this stuff is important. It all, nah. all these systems are important. They all intertwine. Nah, that's, that's such a good point. Um, I grew up, I grew up outside of Chicago and Chicago's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it's definitely the wild, the wild West, the wild Midwest. The, the, the wild Midwest is like people, people that have never <laughs> seen it firsthand can't understand. The can't wild appreciate Midwest. it. Yeah. like, you <laughs> it's crazy man yeah like detroit chicago um ohio it's gonna be it's rough man philly it's gonna be rough you have to it's gonna be rough if you're an investor you're gonna you're gonna be carrying around a lot of those uh <laughs> you're gonna carry around your, hopefully your gun you know <laughs> yeah and and that's another reason why you want to you want to invest in those areas with with proper mentorship especially if you're not from there you want to do it with somebody who can show you how to navigate. Um, because in every bad neighborhood, there's a good section. In every good yeah. neighborhood, there's yeah. a bad section. So you just need to know how to pick the right areas to invest in to do that value-add investing. And there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. But in these uh, rougher pockets, we all know that the cap rates are more favorable. There are wider profit margins. There's more juice, more meat on the bone. So it's it's a uh, more profitable way to invest when you're just getting started. And also, when you buy a property for fifty, sixty thousand dollars, there's a strong chance that it could triple in value. When you buy a property for half a million dollars, just from an American average American affordability standpoint, there's less of a chance that that's going to triple in value because it's all about the affordability for the average American, which is a multiple of the median income. Once you get past six x on the medium income of any area, the housing actually is becoming in bubble territory, not affordable for the average American. And once you get beyond that, it's, it's not long before those prices kind of come back down, especially during times like, you know, a recession where uh, things get tighter. So, so it's definitely um, a good way to invest. Are most of your tenants, all, is you mostly a section eight, hundred percent section eight? I started off hundred percent section eight and it got too slow for me. Like, uh, Section 8 has made incredible efficiencies now, and they've gone super tech friendly in Philly. Like they're, I mean, these people are unrecognizable from what I had to deal with when I uh, started dealing with Section 8. But 
I found the process to still be too slow to scale, especially as I started, you know, having years where I was doing over a hundred deals in a year. It's like, Hey, I, I have too much of a, a tenanting backlog. So I started to get into a new strategy called co-living and it's kind of so new that most people still don't know it exists, but what we'll do is we'll take a property, like a three bed, one bath, blow it up and rebuild it into a three bed, three bath, three master suites. You can only get to the bathroom through each individual bedroom and you can rent out each suite like a, like a studio. They share the kitchen, little common eating kitchen, common area. And that could take your rent on a property, like a three bed, one bath will rent for $12.50 a month. Each co-living suite will rent for $7.50 a month. So it takes your rent from $12.50 to $22.50 on the same footprint of a property. So from a cash flow standpoint, this is going to two or three X your cash flow. Um, you can make $1,000 a month on a single family property in you know, a, a top 10 city in, in America with this co-living strategy. And it creates affordable housing. So it's one of the purest solutions to the affordable housing crisis. You don't need low income housing tax credits. You don't need vouchers. You don't have to qualify. And it directly taps into those millions of Americans that are living on their parents' couch or in the basement. Yeah, provide you're providing the solution for that 100%. Um, that that's that's really really smart. Um, I, mean, I know you're going to answer this, but do you have to, do people put you in the middle with because now they have technically roommates and you know yeah. roommates don't always get along. Do you kind of like combine them based off of thing, or you just kind of roll the dice and let them <laughs> out? You probably have you're, a bunch. <laughs> you're a daredevil, then definitely roll the dice. But the best way to do it is to is to do personality testing. So do some personality testing. You don't want any dark triads in there, just, you know, wrecking the house, but also do like to like, like you don't want to put the 65 year old retiring, um, you know, divorcee in with like the 30 year old, you know, working class woman who's like partying a little bit and doing different things. They're living different lifestyles. You want to keep it like a woman's house and a man's house, but also have similar ages, similar backgrounds, kind of, you know, uh, weeding through uh, some of those issues. And then you have to set your house rules. So you have to uh, do what I, I call, which is kind of like a sales tactic. In sales, you would want to answer objections before they're asked and then do like pre-setting. With the tenanting, you want to do a lot of that as well. You want to test um, your tenant before they move in and you want to level set. So it's just like, hey, you know, a lot of us will have to evict people because we don't level set on the beginning. I'll scare away a tenant before I have to evict them. I'll just say, hey, look, we run a tight ship here. So if you're the type of person who doesn't pay, you shouldn't come here because the rent's due on the first by the fifth. It's late. We send a pay or quit notice by the 15th and, you know, we file. So if that is that going to be a problem for you? And they're going to think like, well, that would probably be a problem for me. And they won't move in a lot of the people. You also have to do more background checks, but um, it's, there's a lot of level setting with how you talk and how you uh, preset before somebody moves in. But if you do all the right things, you can eliminate a lot of the issues. And, and you typically would just have people who go and live and pay their rent and, and it's fine. So it's just a cash cow. So I like, I like, I've never heard, I've heard this, like uh, I've heard of it before, but I've never heard of somebody actually taking up the scale to actually do all the houses. So one of the caveats is yes, you do make more cash flow, but you actually have more. You actually have more tenants. <laughs> well, yeah. So yeah, let's talk about that. So you have more cash flow. You have more tenants. So how do I solve this equation? More uh -huh. cash flow per property, like a lot more cash flow per property, more tenants. Uh -huh. So potentially more headaches. The show is sponsored by the List Guys. Do you need more leads in your local or virtual market? One in 10 small businesses don't invest in any kind of marketing. The list guys have over 35 plus list types to choose from and you can mix and match any list or criteria. We also use the skip trace list and provide up to seven numbers and email addresses. Every list you purchase will be scrubbed against previous purchases. The list guys are here to save you time. Contact the list guys today at www.1listguys.com. That's www.the1listguys.com. Well, I'm just going to hire some virtual assistants with the more cash flow. Okay. And the virtual assistants can answer the phone when it rings and they can manage at a higher level than I could. 
or uh, than a typical property management company could. So with two virtual assistants that might get $1,000 a month each, which is like two properties, if I scale this to a portfolio, they can manage 100 properties, just the two of them. They can yeah. manage 300, 300 tenants easy. So um, you, you just have, scale you into full, it. You have, you have full-time staff available and they're, they, they call somebody answers every time. Every time. So you just you over you swarm your problems like that's the best thing to do in real estate and really any business to just swarm your problems with good um, talent don't try to be a hero you will burn out i don't care who you are i don't care how much coffee you drink what your workout routine is you will burn out like the rest of us and that's the difference between me and you is like i'm i know i'll burn out so i'll just hire the people and scale the operation around my team and know that Hey, I'm, I'm just an individual. I might be, have some superpowers in terms of system building, but I'm an individual like everyone else. So even when I burn out, I'll still have a hundred people that are cranking. Are you self-managing hundred percent? Yeah. Like here, here's the, here's the, uh, I guess the paradox. Most of us think when we get into real estate, I'm going to self-manage until I get 10 properties. And when I have 10 properties, then I'll hand it over to property management and blah, 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 blah. And what happens is when you get those first 10 and you self-manage, you're building a business that requires self-management yeah. from a financial standpoint. Yeah. You never priced in the cost of property management and you will never want to. You won't have built that muscle. So um, the real way you should do it is to pro have property management on your first 10 properties. It's going to allow you to scale faster. You're going to get mailbox money where you don't have to answer the phone. There's less distractions. You won't burn out. And then once you get those 10, you'll have enough money coming in in that 10% where you could hire a virtual assistant to manage all those 10, fire the property management company in the scale. And that's the way you should do it. You should do it in reverse. You should self-manage when you have more, not less. But most, most of us don't know that. That is another great advice for everybody listening. I'm going to key in on this. That's <laughs> great advice for everybody here because self-managing, like like you said, you have two full-time employees answer the phone. That's the best type of self-management oh, out there. Like yeah. the if you hire it's not even self-management. <laughs> you hire a point. property manager, they will not answer the phone every time. They'll put some of the voicemail, they'll put text in a ticket, email me this, this, like that. But you have two full-time VAs answer the phone. That is yeah. that is the best tip I've heard in a long time for property management for everybody here. Like yeah. Go listen to that part again. You'll get it when you get there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you'll definitely get it. It, it. This stuff will all make sense at different points of the of the journey. But yeah. when it clicks, like this this stuff is, uh, I went through a lot of pain for this stuff. I've lost over half a million dollars to get to this type of knowledge. Well, that's the that's the part. Like people are like, why would I pay for mentorship? Like, well, because I paid in physical cash. <laughs> they don't tell you this about the school of hard knocks. You think, oh, I don't have to pay for mentorship. I'll just go through the school of hard knocks. The school of hard knocks is a hundred x the cost of mentorship. Not two x, not three x, not ten x. A hundred x the cost of mentorship. So if you're smart, you'll just pay for mentorship and skip all of the pain and just learn from somebody else's. But if you want the school of hard knocks. Um, you know, just be prepared to, to spend a ton of money uh, trying to figure this thing out and go through a lot of pain. I don't recommend it. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a painful lesson. Every, yeah. every time you wholesale your deal and the flipper makes a 150 grand, you're like, ah. Ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It stings a little bit. Like, I made my yeah. $15,000 wholesale fee. And like, ah. Yeah. No, it does. It does. <laughs> so, um, oh, how, how are you? Uh, so, this is a question. I'm kind of. I have like a. This is such a good, great conversation. I have like my my questions are building up. So, I have to remember the one I just thought of right now. But <laughs> before I forget, so what stops a lot of people from building up a portfolio or getting to the level you are as capital? So, what's what's the capital like requirement? Capital, not the capital requirement, but the capital muscle you built to get to this point, because okay, definitely a capital capital muscle you built for sure. There, yeah, there, there's a the biggest the biggest muscle you guys have to build mm -hmm. is you have to understand you're gonna hear the word no. Yep. You got to become like a baby with this thing. Like I have a I have a, a three year old and a one year old. I might say no. I say no so many times a day. My my youngest, his first word was no. 
He's like, no, 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 you know, and he wags his finger. But you hear no as a baby, they don't care. You can say no, and they look you right in the face and they try again and again and again until they get the yes. And if you kept that childlike attitude with real estate, you would understand you're going to hear no from lenders all the time. No, we won't fund that deal. No, we won't do this. Well, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Why not? Who, who do you have to go to for approval? And eventually, if you keep prying, you will get the yes. It only takes one yes to 100x your business. One yes that I got at some point was, um, no, we won't use your appraiser on your initial you know, hard money loan for the, for the refinance. We won't do it. We just don't do it. Why not? Why not? We won't do it. And eventually, somebody said, yeah, we'll use the same appraisal. Oh, so that took away appraisal risk from my entire birth strategy. Yeah. And so now if I'm competing against somebody who does have appraisal risk and I have none, I can run 10 times faster than you because I could go take out $2 million of construction loans, knowing for absolute fact that I can exit those at a 80% LTV cash out refinance. I'm getting paid to build now. So you only need one magical yes to accelerate. But most of us stop at the first no. Mm. We just stop. Because we believe that it's final. It's never final. And just because this person says no doesn't mean the next guy's going to say no. You're, you don't care about the no. You're looking for the yes. You can go back and to the have, same person six months later and there might be a yes. And that's happened too. I've had a no. I've had the underwriter won't approve this. And, it, and then it's like, hey, we'll take our business elsewhere. And they come back. They see you're still standing in six months. And they're like, look, you, we're sorry. You know, like These things happen. But you, you have to be the one to not accept no for an answer. Never accept no for an answer in real estate um, or in any business. Just find your yes and keep plugging away. And that is the biggest muscle because it's an it's a aha moment. You think, oh, I'm only going to hear no and that's the end of it. And then when you get that yes, you're like, wait, what, what was the approval process? Oh, there's just three guys in a boardroom and they just decided. That's how it works? That's how it works. That's how it works at the highest companies. Oh, this is our rules. This is how we do things here. And there's no way that can go. There's three guys in a boardroom and they say, how much money can we make? Eh, I mean, if he take away his appraisal risk and he does 5 million worth of deals and we're charging three points, I mean, we can make a couple hundred thousand. All right. <laughs> That's the end of it. And then they do it. So um, because lenders would rather deal with a repeat business. It's like the Drake song, like no new friends. Lenders hate new investors. They hate new friends. They'd rather deal with the investor that they've dealt with before, that has paid them before, that has executed before, that didn't get burned by the contractor. So once you establish the relationship, keep pushing for more. That's, an, that's another level of not taking no. Even if you hear no up front, do a deal with the lender, then bring it back up. Hey, I know you wouldn't do this before, but now we got this deal done. You guys should be a little bit more comfortable. Can you do it now? Can we can we roll the closing costs and and uh, accrue put those into the loan now, so that we can come to the the table with less money? Can we capitalize those? Can we collateralize the closing costs? Well, we never thought about that. Well, what do you think about it? You start asking these questions and pushing, pushing, always be pushing, always be trying to get ahead because this is how you get ahead of the competition by pushing these buttons and creating custom strategies that you have that nobody else has because you got exceptions. That's how. So that's the muscle is getting comfortable with that pushing. This is this has been my favorite interview in a long time because uh, we, <laughs> we're on the same page here. Like not, we don't do yeah. the same thing, but we, we do the same thing in our own little yeah. way. So like me yeah. and my partner, we talk we talk to we talk about when we're talking about negotiating with sellers, we hit all the buttons in the elevator like a kid. You don't, <laughs> yeah. you don't, you don't know what they're gonna say, and you just said it right now. Like we go in and we ask them this, we ask them this. Can you do this? Can you do that? Can you do this? Well, I might do that if you do this. Okay, okay. What if we did this, this, and this to get that? Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Let, yeah, let's do that. And yeah. <laughs> how does that work again? This is how, you know, you start getting there. But you have to ask that question. You have to go there. And most, so many people are afraid to go there because of that, that nine to five mindset, that whole matrix mindset. You're just used to just complying versus thinking outside of the box and free thinking with this stuff. There's no limits to this thing. And this is where like, this is where your, your knowledge, your knowledge base comes in because if you don't, if you know to hit that button, every time you have that conversation, you can hit that button every time. But if you don't even know that question exists, you're, that's you're it. Overlooked. That's it. If you don't even know to ask, 
then you you just can never get there. And that's that's where that mentorship comes in. Somebody who's been around that and scaled up. You know, I've been on the on the phone with your mom and pop lenders all the way to JP Morgan. So it's like, where do those questions come up? What's behind the veil? Do the lenders even have money or are they getting a, a line from a larger land trust who's buying debt and giving them a hundred million dollar line? Most of your lenders out there, they only have a million dollars, one to five million. And then they have, they bought a credit line, 50 million for the line. They're ordering the money to close your loan. Why do you think they can't close right away? Because they got to order the money from the credit, the warehouse line. Like they don't even have any money and all. And then the guy who has the money is some old guy with a 401k and they're just taking the money out of there. Like it's, it's really, you know, my section eight property might end up in your 401k and, and the results of your 401k are based upon my ability to manage the section eight tenant and screen them and not get foreclosed on. Like it's, it's really that serious because there's so many veils behind this lending game. Nobody has any money. It's crazy. And nobody knows how to underwrite. It's it's a it's a weird it's a weird business as you pull back the veil. It's really it's really uh you understand the big short a lot better as, as you pull back the veil of this stuff. Okay, this is we're getting into some touchy territory here. This is, <laughs> this is where I, I I live and I love talking about it because one thing that I think you're really you're really touching is the money connection doesn't know anything about real estate or tenants or nothing like that. So Super. There's, there's that bridge lender that doesn't have any money that's connected to the money that, hey, I understand a little bit or I understand what numbers look like. And then there's another person like, yeah, I, got, I know somebody who's doing deals. Let me connect you with, let me connect you with Brian here. Now Brian comes in, hey, I'm doing this, 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 this. Okay. And then it connects all the bridges together. And then the middleman yeah. pages for connecting the dots. The middlemen get paid for connecting the dots. The scariest part, and that was a beautiful way to, that you uh, laid it out. It's perfectly crystal clear and, and absolutely correct. The scariest part is I know how to underwrite deals better than the lender yep. who's giving me the millions. They yep. think they know better than me. So they'll argue with me. Oh, the deal's not going to cost that much. Based on what? I mean, I'm building houses right now. I'm, I'm counting receipts. I'm tracking data. Based on what? Uh these lenders don't know how to underwrite the real person who should be underwriting the deals is me you because i'm doing it so they're basically the big land trust has no idea what's, what's going on in, in philly so they hire the bridge lender or the the micro construction lender because they think they know what they're doing and they convince them they know what they're doing but they really don't they really have no idea most of the people there they've never built a property in their life they just thought lending's a good business and short-term lending is profitable because you could charge 13% rates and three points. We're getting so uh, we're getting into the white collar right here. Yeah. So it's uh it, it's really it's really bizarre. It becomes fascinating to not, you know, in this business, you can work in it and there's so much coming at you that you're working in the business. But when you step back to work on it and kind of look at it, it's really fascinating um how the money moves and um once you understand that these people don't really know that much about uh, underwriting and what's really going on, you start pushing them to create products that facilitate ease because these, in their attempt to be conservative, they actually create more risk. Like a lender will do something like this. I want you, let's say you have $50,000 and you were going to do a rehab project and they could give you the money to rehab the project. They're going to say, I want you to put $30,000 into the deal so you have more skin in the game. And you say, well, that's fine, but then I have less money to rehab, rehab the project. Isn't that more dangerous for both of us? Doesn't that put me in a closer position if anything goes wrong where I'll default and you have no idea how to build this house either? So then you'll default and then like, isn't that bad? But the lenders, they just can't see clearly. So they think, no, I'm being more conservative for me. But you can't put me, the developer, in a worse position and be more conservative. It doesn't work like that. You have to put me in the best position to finish this deal. That makes it e easier for you and more likely that you'll get paid. But it's like, uh, because they don't understand, these things can just get really hairy. And that's why I push people to, to make better products that actually make sense and make things safer for both parties. And when you show them how it's safer, they'll actually wake up and say, ah, I, that is actually pretty comfortable. Let's make the exception just for them though, because I don't want to do this at scale yet. And that's how you'll get it. Yeah. Um, 
you're really making me think of a title because I feel like this is the perfect conversation to bridge that gap. So I have to like title it to reach the right audience. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we're going a mile deep here. Yeah, we're absolutely. going a mile deep, and this is so it's such a like I love this conversation. I really, really do because like that thirty thousand the lenders asking you for that could be payments to make sure you're stay you stay in it. Um, that could be yeah. extra. Uh, some an accident comes up that you didn't foresee, or somebody or steal you. That's money yeah. to stay in the deal because. Yes, you're doing the deal. Yes, there's risk involved, but you don't want you want as much you want us you want it to be as safe as possible to complete the transaction because you're not doing this for fun. Exactly. Exactly. And you're taking on serious risk. You're you're personally guaranteeing loans. You're doing a lot of things. Yep. And you want to have a, a comfortable cash position so that if that brick wall actually needs to be demoed and reframed up, you have the cash ability to do it. You have an extra 10K to do it, even if you take that loss on a total project. Yep. Just getting to the finish line is a is a completion of the job. It's a W from a lender perspective. You got them cashed out of the deal and you can do more deals and make up that money. Cause this is a multi-million dollar game. Losing yep. 10 grand on one deal, you'll make a hundred grand on the next. It, it, yeah. it all goes together. Yep. It doesn't matter. Yep. Yeah. No, you're right. That's this, this is such a great conversation because it's the uh and this is why, like, um, our, our preferred lender in Texas, he's very flexible because he actually is in the business. Yeah, those are the best guys. Those are the best lenders out there just because they understand. They understand what it really takes to get the deal done. And they know how to do it. If they ever need to foreclose and do the job, they, they can do it because they're in it, too. They can step in. Yeah. And that that's, you know, that's a, you want to work with a lender that gets it because the lenders that don't get it, they're they're gonna they're gonna collapse deals eventually they'll fail and you don't want to be a part of that you know type of operation so it's uh it's hard to know this when you're new and you're doing your first couple deals but as you scale you you start to pick some preferred lenders and like you said stick with them like they're your go-to and uh my last point on lending is even when you have your go-to another scale point is to diversify your lenders because you can quickly with your go-to lender become 30, 40% of their fund. And at some point they're going to cut you off. They're going to say, look, we're going to cut you off. Now, if they cut you off and you got 10 properties under contract that need to close in a month, you don't want to lose 10 contracts. What is that going to do to you reputationally with the different wholesalers and realtors? So you need diversification even within your lenders. Um, or if they had 10 loans go bad and now their liquidity is crunched with their warehouse line, you need you need some diversification because because it's, it's all a business. Here's a fun. Here's a fun fact, a fun story. I had a guy. Um, there was a guy and he went to sleep March, uh, March 2020. We'll call it like the first of March 2020 pandemic shutdown. He goes to sleep. He's got a, a $10 million cash out refinance closing the next day. He wakes up, drinks a cup of coffee, does his routine, gets a phone call. Hey, how are we doing on that refi? Uh, the land trust, they're not buying debt anymore. The whole market's shut down, the whole non-QM market, the refi's dead. Click. Get bigger, the bigger you get. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. So it gets it gets real, real hideous out here. So um you know, keep it in perspective, but diversify. Trust me, you will, there will come a point where you wish you did uh, within this game, especially on a lending end. Yeah, that, that, like I said, so many key points to break apart there. There was, that was a lot of gems in there just because like, you don't, you don't, the lender isn't going to have you be their number one person that they lend out to because they're going to have to diversify too, because if you ever go bankrupt or anything happens to you. Their fund collapses. Their fund collapses. They got some explaining to do to their investors about then, how they got so big with one guy. Then the, the, then the other thing that you really mentioned too was sometimes there's crunch on them on their side that they can't, oh, yeah. even, that they can't even like, like, hey, shit rolls downhill, bro. I'm sorry. Rolls downhill. It's, it's the whole money chain that you explain. This guy has the money. He lends to this guy, to this guy, to this guy. Well, if yep. this guy stops buying... He gets a he gives a phone call to the if, if the billion dollar guy stops buying he calls the hundred million dollar guy they call your five million dollar lender and then they call you and that's how it rolls hey the you know they cut the water off over here so now it's just you know it's a small little drip you know at this point there's no money 
So it'll it'll dry up in a heartbeat. Uh, so you, you just have to you have to know how this game works from a macro level uh, before you dive in head first. And this is this is very high level for everybody listening. This is very high level understanding <laughs> yeah. of, of the of the back office. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's it's high. It's fun. It's fun for the guys who are scaling, though, because some people are thinking about, hey, I want to go out and get 50 properties and I want to scale. They already have, you know, five, 10 properties. This is that next you know, level where you're going. It can be highly profitable, but there are some landmines you need to navigate. And um, if you don't if you don't have your eyes open to these things, you could get beat over the head. I mean, it's it's as serious as a heart attack. Ooh. OK. That, that I'm really glad we met. I'm really glad we talked about this because that was that was a lot. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot. I'm glad we unpacked this somehow. I don't know how we got here, but I'm glad we're here. <laughs> oh man, um, this is man. This this is good. Okay, I, I want to keep it going. Let's see where, where we're going next. We're going next. Okay, so we. My question I had earlier, I forgot it already. See, um, so Burr strategy. Um, how many, how many units do you have to right now? Over 300 properties. So um, I'm, I, after a while, you'll stop counting uh, to a degree. And it just becomes focused on, um, you know, activity and building. But I'm, I'm always building houses. Uh, right now, I'm building houses for myself. I'm, I'm building properties for uh, some of my mentees as well. Uh, some people who like to flip. I'm not, I'm not against flipping or um, strictly buy and hold. I'm more of an opportunist. So I like to treat it like sports, react to the market. If uh, in basketball, I was taught, if they're two feet off, you, you shoot the ball. If they're right up on you, you drive around them. So in, in uh, real estate, it's like, you know, if the market is hot and pricing's going up, maybe you do a flip and cash out, especially when rates are high. If rates start coming back down, like they're projected to do as we get later into like 2023, 2024, then you start doing the buy and hold heavily again. But I'm building houses for my people. I'm building houses for myself. I just, my real passion in this game is just keeping uh, food on the table, keeping my contractors busy, facilitating, uh, spreading the wealth around and rebuilding communities is really what I love to do. So um, I'm not selfish with it. If I can help people and build houses for them, then, you know, I'll facilitate that. And I have a program where, where I do that for my people. No, I, I, I commend you for that because as, the, the bigger you get in business, the more people you really realize you're feeding. And it, it's a, it's a, it's a good flow of energy throughout the market. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, you're creating jobs. There's no way to scale this thing, this residential real estate thing and not create or commercial and not create hundreds of, of jobs for contractors. You're putting properties back on the payroll for the municipality. You're putting uh, families and properties they're in the community spending money at the local bodegas and the corner stores. And, the, you know, you're, you're just creating, you're a part of that economy and that energy. And there's a reward just for providing that amount of value to the universe in, uh, in that sense. So I, I just stay stuck in that. I mean, I love the energy of it. And um, I love seeing people kind of get properties and break themselves out of the nine to five and just build generational wealth. I, I just love real estate ownership. Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's such a cool feeling because you you when you hit a certain point, you can feel the scale of the impact. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If you go into a neighborhood, I don't care what it is, how blighted it is. You go in there and build 200 properties in that in that zip code. You, you won't be able to stand at one property. You could throw a football, hit another property you own. When you have that type of feeling, you'll start to see neighborhoods change. But even more than that, what if you could build 50 60 other developers and they are all buying next to you and beside you and across the town or across the country and you're learning about new markets and everywhere is getting built out that's where you can really dominate if you took 10 developers into one zip code in baltimore you guys could flip the whole zip code property value would go from 60 70 000 per property to 220 230 and you guys would just crank out that developer spread all as a collective. There's so much food to be eaten. All of these major cities were built in the 1910s, 1920s. They're all 100 years old. Yeah. Everything's falling apart. So once you learn how to put them back together, there's infinite opportunity. How A new house is falling down every day and, and will be for the foreseeable future. So it's a multi-million dollar skill set that you're uh, building by getting into this thing. Yeah. Hundred percent, man. Um, how do you foresee um, next year, like the real estate market? What's the 
what's the transition point where and i really i'm really glad you mentioned earlier too that you kind of ebb and flow with the market uh, yeah. what, what, what do you feel 2023 is looking like i think it's such a i'm, I'm like an econ major from you know columbia so I, this is this stuff just fascinates me but i'm looking at it and saying the fed look in every recession in u.s history the way out has been quantitative easing, reducing interest rates. Every recession, U.S. history. So unless this is going to be the one recession in U.S. history where we don't, which I don't think is the case, at some point, the Fed is going to about face and start to reduce rates, which is probably going to be tail end of 2023 at the earliest, but definitely by you know 2024. So we've been in this decreasing interest rate environment where it's always made sense to do like a 30-year fix. And some of the arms, like the seven one arm, the five one arm have made yeah. no sense. And I think right now, if you're projecting that midterm rates are going to reverse, some of these seven year, five year arms actually make more sense because you could put a seven year annual renewable uh, mortgage on it. You know, after that seven year lock in period, it's going to reduce your rate, you know, a point, a point and a half today. So that's the difference between six and a half percent and five, five and a quarter, which is cash flow if you're doing the buy and hold or the birth strategy and yeah. then refinance out of that later as rates go back down. Um, so there, there's some interesting strategies with rate buy downs or two, one rate buy downs and all these different strategies out there that weren't valuable for the last 10 years. So these are things that we need to explore. And that I talk to uh, my people about from a pricing standpoint, prices actually aren't falling as fast as we thought they were. They're going down in a lot of the metros. I think as of October, of 2022, 95% of, uh, of US metros had actually continued to increase in value year over year, just not by as much as they were. They were going up 18% year over year. Now it's like 2% back with normal long-term inflation. So it yeah. feels stagnant. We're seeing more properties stay on market longer. So inventory is picking up. Prices are falling. It's, it's a buyer's market again, almost everywhere. So it's a good time. I think we're in a window long story short, a window where if you keep your eye on the ball, it's a buyer's market, you can tap in and lock in some properties at lower values than they would be and get these locked in at the new low interest rate. I don't think we're going back to 3%, but you can get it locked in at maybe 4.5, 4.75, depending on the strategy you do and when you lock in a mortgage. And there's going to be like a year, year and a half window where prices are low. As rates get reduced for us to get out of this recession, prices are going to keep going back up yep. and you're going to miss that window. It's, it's just like the stock market. Most people do what? Sell high and uh, I mean, uh, sell low and, uh, and buy high and sell, and sell low. They lose their money, right? Yeah. So most people are going to sit on the sidelines and say, I'm going to time the bottom of the market. Prices are going to fall. And they're just going to miss the window because they're not going to fall as far as you think they are. Mm-hmm. And then rates are going to about face and you're going to miss that window. So I think there's going to be a gap um, that most people won't see. And for the people who are tapped in, they're going to get some properties and cash in on uh, this opportunity. What is a quote that is yours or somebody else's that you resonate with? Um, there's a quote. I don't want to say the I think this is a Frank Sinatra quote. It's not how good you're doing, it's how long you're doing good. And it's such a good quote because as you're as you're building out your business, look, we're all in this social media age where you're going to compare yourselves to other people who are doing very well right now or are giving off the projection that they're doing very well. But it's not how long they're it's not how good they're doing now. You want to set up your business for the long term to be doing good for a long time how long you're doing good. You want to set yourself up forever. That's the goal of this thing. So don't get distracted by all the shiny stuff you see on Instagram, YouTube, shorts, and, you know, TikTok and all these different platforms. Stay locked in on your mission, build for the long term, set yourself up to do good for long. Don't uh, make those costly mistakes and don't try to move too fast. Don't try to move too fast through this game. Just stay locked in, take your time and set yourself up for the long haul. So that's one of my uh, that's one of my favorite quotes for like life, I would say. No, it's, it's, it's a, it's a good one. It's a good one. And 10 years in the business shows your, your wisdom in the game. <laughs> no, definitely. And I've, I've been around the block, so I'm, I'm pretty crafty, man. I'm a, I'm an ultimate hustler. So I will 
you know, I love this thing too. I'm doing my passion, but like I said, I'm, I'm adaptive. So there it's, it's hard to, one thing I've learned is when you provide a lot of value to, to people in the universe, it's hard to get put out, man, because the universe wants you to win. It wants you to, because you're just providing value and helping other people to put food on the table and create generational wealth. So I stay tapped into that. And I think that protects me from uh, some of the hardships and, and falls that are out there, the pitfalls. Yeah, it's like it's like the, the good karma thing. You produce, produce yeah. good results and somehow you get good results around you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you keep good energy and, and good things will happen for you, for sure. Yeah, it's, it's people think it's superstitious or you're like, he's lucky. I'm like, no, 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 not really. <laughs> <laughs> not quite, man. It, it, there, there is some work involved in it and uh, keeping your energy right and keeping your focus right. And there's definitely some work in it, but it's... Uh, it's definitely more rewarding than, you know, being miserable all day or hating your job and your boss. Uh, sometimes you got to bet on yourself, even if it looks daunting and just trust that that net will appear. Yeah. That's, uh, that's always the, the when, whenever like, cause I, I see that all the time too. It's just like entrepreneurship is jumping off the cliff, hoping the, hoping the parachute will open up. Hoping yeah. have parachute on. <laughs> yeah. No, my, my mentor, uh, one of my mentors, he's business partners at like Magic Johnson, TD Jakes. He does commercial real estate all across the country uh, with, with like big celebrities. And he gave me a book when I was like 24. And it was just like different quotes, like a picture book with quotes. And he's like, here, take it. And uh, one of them was jumping a net will appear. And there's a picture of a guy jumping off a cliff. And it was just clouds. You couldn't see anything. You were too high up to see the net. But you had to trust that the net was down there. And like a uh, like a one of the circus like trapeze artists, like it will catch you and bounce you back up and prop you back up and allow you to climb higher. So you just have to jump and trust that the net will appear. And I really took that to heart and I jumped into entrepreneurship and the nine to, and, and out of the nine to five and trusted that that net would appear for me. And it did. Yeah, I did. I did the same thing, too. Yeah. It's a long way down, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could be a long way down. I mean, and uh, you're going to you're going to feel some different emotions on the way down. But um, no, it, it'll usually support you. It'll usually support you. Um, I, I think I know the answer to this one, but how do you deal with burnout? I just reset, man. Like, uh, I, I'm lucky I don't have many vices. So um, I'm one. Here's how I deal with burnout is, is the, the real truth. How I deal with burnout is. When I'm not burned out, I'm a monster. I run with the energy all the time. So if the energy is burnt out, I recharge. But when I'm feeling it, I'm cranking content. I'm cranking houses out. I'm doing everything. So I've run like a bear out of hell when, uh, when I'm like juiced up and fired up. And then when I burn out, I know that if I just rest, I'm going to hit that sprint again. So I, I'm like the guy who runs and waits for the second win. Like, I'll just burn out and wait for that second win. And there's always a second win. Uh, I've been knocked down enough times to know that I'm, I'm undefeatable. Like, I, I will get back up. That energy will come back. And then I'm going to run as far as I can with that baton until I drop it. And then I'll take a, br a breather. And then I'm going to run as far as I can. So I just go with it. Like, I don't fight it. I'll just uh, recharge and then come back. I, I, I really like what you said there because I, I feel – People struggle with burnout all the time, but it's an ebb and flow of everything. Like burnout is going to be there and it's going to come. And yeah. I really like the way you kind of like put, pictured that out is like, it's going to come, you just got to deal with it. And then whenever you just got to reap, when the, when the energy comes back up again, you're run. Yeah. The problem is when you, when you fight, you try to fight burnout, like, yeah. you know, you're burnt out, but you try to fight through it. Then you start producing bad product. You really should just take that time off, take the step back. That's part of being an entrepreneur. The problem with entrepreneurship is you don't have a boss. You don't have a schedule. So you can run yourself into the ground. Or yep. some people don't know how to uh, program themselves so they don't get enough done. But when you get it right, you push yourself as hard as you can be pushed when you have the most energy. And when you don't, you rest as hard as possible. So you rest totally. You turn, turn everything off. Rest totally. And you will recharge faster. It's uh, self-regulation. Self-regulation. Trust your body. Trust it. You know, it's telling you something for a reason. If you fight it too hard, you'll get sick anyway. <laughs> so, you know, and then you're, then you're out anyway. 
So you might as well just listen and take that time and take that nap, uh, take that power nap, do it every time you can. Um, and you'll get more production out of yourself. 100%, man. Um, where can people find you online, man? This has such a, been a great interview. I, I love the conversation. I'll have to get you back on again for sure. No, yeah. No, this is this is great. You can find me. Um, I'm, I'm like everywhere on TikTok, at, at uh, Grimes Estate on TikTok, on YouTube. Brian loves cash flow. That's easy to remember because I love cash flow. So Brian loves cash flow on YouTube. Um, on Instagram, Brian Grimes underscore 247 CFU for the 247 cash flow university. Um, and you can find me on like LinkedIn, Brian Grimes Real Estate. All of these channels are backlinked to my free training that I have for you guys on www.workwithgrimes.com forward slash cash flow, workwithgrimes.com forward slash cash flow. And that'll teach you how to acquire properties for pennies on the dollar all across the country. Um, you don't want to miss out on that free training. So definitely tap in. Boom. Go check it out everywhere. He just said link will be in the bio. Um, we appreciate you, Brian, for coming on. Um, this is definitely an eye-opening conversation. I have to think of the title, so I'm, I'm still. I'm <laughs> it'll come to you, man. Trust the energy. Just meditate on it, and it'll <laughs> just appear. <laughs> uh, we appreciate you coming on. Please go check him out. This has been a dope interview. If you all made it this far, go leave a review, man. This is a dope episode. Tell me about like this, this episode was being dope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you guys got to support this. Amazing. <laughs> all right, thanks for coming on. Appreciate y'all. See you on the next episode. Thanks for watching this YouTube video. We hope you found value. Please like, subscribe, and hit the bell to watch more videos just like this one.